days of my life after being saved and after marrying my sweetheart and being with her all these years has been being a dad. I have loved every, really every season of my son's lives from childhood, uh, well, actually from birth to childhood to adolescence uh, to, you know, sports and school and um, road trips and crazy talks and discipline and college and getting married and now being fathers themselves. It's been my joy to share my faith with my sons and to realize now all these years later that both of them uh, are men who follow Christ because they love him and not because they have a dad who does. Now I I uh, just had a kind of a front row seat to some fathering. Dion and I, as some of you know, spent a week up in Boise where the, Zach and April and their five kids have moved. And we got to hang out. And I, I wasn't expecting it, but I think one of the greatest joys for me, at least, was to see Zach um, interact with his kids. He took the time off work. And so I... I just kind of observed after a while, I just sort of sat back and enjoyed what I was seeing. I saw him playing soccer in, in their backyard with Madeline and Justin and coaching them up at the same time. It seemed like he was always teaching. There was a, um, a circuit that was busted in the house and, and Zach called the three oldest ones and said, this is what's wrong and here's how we're gonna fix it. And he showed them what to do. Um, he seemed to tailor his attention to what the child needed. The, he changed Isla's diaper and made faces and made her laugh. And uh, he was kind of the arbiter of peace in the games that everybody played. And he was the hammer of discipline when one brother tried to, I won't say kill, but tried to <laughs> do serious bodily harm to another. <laughs> um, he was the one who decided which kid was supposed to pray at mealtime. And uh, he and April put the kids to bed and sang a song and prayed a prayer with them. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was quite something. Um, I've seen the same kind of balancing act with my older son as well. With his four, there seems to be this kind of ability to balance discipline and affection in comfort with instruction and uh, spiritual guidance. And my, my kids are not perfect and they're not perfect fathers, but I wanted to share that with you for two reasons. Number one, I'm just proud of my boys and I, since I've got a mic uh, from time to time. Um, but the other thing is, it's Father's Day. I don't know if you noticed, but it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you guys, uh, fathers and grandfathers. And I, I want to spend some time uh, talking about and to fathers. I think that our world, our culture, has done a terrible shift in, in my lifetime. I can remember reading and hearing the same themes in TV programs when I was a kid. We had programs like Father Knows Best and My Three Sons. Uh, some of you who are 100 or 120 years old will remember those. Um, and dad was kind of the benevolent, 
wise arbiter of affection and he kind of always knew how to solve problems and an object of respect for his wife and children. And then I'm, I may be off on these dates, but I think in the 60s and beyond, dad became the lovable buffoon. He sort of was somebody we, we thought a lot of, we tolerated, but he was dumber than a post. Uh, the kids were a lot smarter than he, and his wife could run rings around him. It was the, what was the, the Tim Allen, the first show where he was always messing up and turning, the, yeah, home improvement where they, uh, he was always attaching some motor to some, you know, the dishwasher or something and breaking all the dishes. You know, we, we thought he was cute and funny, but dumb. And um, I think that in some ways continues to this day. Um, Mom and the kids help dad to get through the messes he creates. And in the process, we all have a good laugh. Um, but it's gotten much, much m more serious and discouraging in the 2000s. And because of the untethering of the influences in our culture from, from the God of the Bible, uh, the culture has taken a perspective that we sang a song about God is sovereign. Well, really, the, the real truth for people in our day is that we are sovereign. They are sovereign over their own bodies, over what anything means. And so we don't even really know what a dad is anymore. We, we do know that toxic masculinity is really the root of most of our problems. And to the degree that father is actually a man, uh, he is a mess and he needs to get over it. And we really don't need him. I mean, two capable, wonderful, courageous women can marry and they only need a man, perhaps, as the sperm donor. And that small contribution is all we need and everything else is cool. You know, that's not the perspective of the scripture. And I, I think, um, and pardon me, ladies, if, if I'm overstating this, but I, I just think that our culture tries to beat up on men almost every day and uh, tell us that we're, we should be ashamed of ourselves for being men. And fathers are extraneous to the equation anymore. And yet, even though this is the mindset of our culture and the influences in our culture, study after study continues to show how important a father is. For example, one study points out that the involvement of fathers in their children's lives lowers the risk of their Kids get involved in sexual experience too early and winding up with a teen pregnancy. Now, our culture handles that by um, making abortion um, readily accessible and the right choice at whatever age you might be. Kids whose dads are actively involved, uh, studies show, have higher IQs. In fact, one study that I looked at said that kids whose fathers are involved in the home are 43% more likely to earn A's, mostly A's in school. A father's involvement in the family has a high correlation to children um, being able to handle stress better and being able to show empathy to other people. A strong bond with their dads is what protects children and keeps them from being victims of sexual assault or abuse. Dads are kind of important. 
and according to God's design, and as it turns out, in the real world, too. Now, I know that Father's Day may not be the happiest day for a bunch of people. And you may be here, and maybe Father's Day is kind of a bittersweet holiday in a way because you, your own dad is gone, and you haven't bought a Father's Day card in many years. Or maybe you had someone who was your dad who was not really a very good father at all. And so the memories you have of him being a father really don't cause you to celebrate. And you'd rather just kind of forget it. My wife has told me many times that she has women who come to her, mainly women, because that's mainly who she counsels, um, who are struggling to understand how God can be their father. And, of course, the reason is, or one of the reasons, is that their own fathers were so unfatherly. They were either absent or abusive or angry or alcoholic. And so it, it's just tough. Um, in some ways, we see Father God through the lens of our own dads. And that should scare every father or grandfather in this room because we're not adequate for that. But on the other hand, really bad fathers mess things up for a while, usually. And so I acknowledge all of that when I talk about Father's Day may not be the happiest day. And I can understand why Mother's Day is way more popular than Father's Day. I mean, it kind of is. And uh, most of us have nicer feelings toward our moms than we do our dads for some reason. Nonetheless, as I was preparing a message for Father's Day, I thought what I would do is I'd see what the scripture said. So I got out my English Bible in my English concordance and I found over 900 references to Father in the scriptures. I think it was 992 or something like that. And so I thought I'm going to look every one of these up and see what I can learn about being a father. So I was in the 840s, I think. When I ran across 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, and it says, we read it earlier, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I stopped there and I thought, okay, so Paul's saying to the church at Corinth, look, I... I'm one of your spiritual fathers. You've got lots of guides, people who will tell you what to do, and sometimes they're even right. But you don't have many people who are fathers in your life. And I'm one of them. I started the church. I led you to Christ. I nurtured your faith and stayed with you. And now I'm writing you a letter. So I, it, it was a good reminder to me that Fatherhood isn't just about biology. Uh, my own dad died when I was 14. And my life was changed forever from that moment on. I still miss him 50-some years later, believe it or not. Yeah, right. Um, that's a long time. Um, but what I recognize is in the course of my life, there have been a few, not many, but a few men who have been father figures to me, who have listened to me and counseled me and in some cases uh, listened to my complaints and um, 
given me guidance that really made a difference. And what I know then is that fatherhood isn't just a matter of whether you have children or ever will. It's more a matter of character and commitment than it is biology. So I looked at chapter 4 and I began to think, okay, well, what can I learn about spiritual fathers from chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians? Now, my disclaimer to you is that 1 Corinthians 4 is not about fathering. It's not about Father's Day, and it's not about even being a spiritual father. It's about Paul defending his apostleship. He's under heavy criticism. People are judging him, and he's pushing back, and he's writing, and he's saying, look, let me tell you about myself a little bit. So I want you to understand, as a Bible teacher, my primary, my first duty is to find out what the Bible actually says, what the intent of the author was under the Spirit of God. But... I can learn some things, some principles about fathering from Paul. And what I want to do is spend a little time uh, sharing with you about spiritual fathering. Because, can I tell you this? If you're like me, whether you had a good dad or not, but especially if you did not, there's a father wound. And you could be 90 years old and you could still feel it. And you may need the example and love and connection of a father. Nobody can replace your dad. We're not even suggesting that. We're not talking about substitutes for anything. But we are talking about men of God who can be to you in some fashion a fatherly person. And I want to say to you, you ought to look around. Because in this church, there are some men like that. And then I want to say to you men, younger and older, you're not too young to make an impact and you're not too old to be a spiritual father to somebody. Maybe God didn't give you children. Okay. Paul's talking about spiritual children. So I'd say listen up. Maybe there's something here for us in the body of Christ. What does a spiritual father look like? Well, one thing, I, I have four of these, and, and I'll touch on the paragraphs and try not to lose sight of the thread that this is actually Paul's defense. But one thing to say is that a spiritual father is known for his faithfulness to God. And notice just the first two verses. And hear the note of kind of defending himself and pushing back in these verses. This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, moreover, it is required of stewards that they may be found faithful. And then he goes on to say, hey, don't judge us. Wait till the actual judge gets around. He can judge my apostleship just fine. But in the process, notice what he said about himself, about Paul, this spiritual father. There are three key words I'd underline or, or highlight or something. The first is this word servant. He says, what you got to know about me is I'm a servant of Christ. Now, it's not in Greek. There are a couple of very, very common words that are translated bond servant, slave or whatever. It's not this word, not those words. This word means a common sailor, a rower in a galley ship. 
Or it could be applied to somebody who is a soldier or even a servant in a temple. Paul says, at the very bottom of my heart, you will find that I serve a master. That's the basic thing about me you got to know. And more than that, or not more, but in addition to that, there's this word steward. If you've got an NIV, it probably says one entrusted to something or other. Um, I think you're better off going with every other translation on this one. Steward is a word that means somebody who manages somebody else's stuff. You're put in charge of an estate. You don't own it, but you are trustworthy. You're dependable. You can count on that person to get the job done. That's my steward. And I can turn things over. It's like, like Joseph in Potiphar's house. And he was a great steward. Um, and he really didn't, he didn't mess up at all. Potiphar's wife messed up pretty bad. Um, so um, I'm a steward, Paul says, of the mysteries of God, of the gospel. We, every one of us, are stewards. We're entrusted with things that don't belong to us. Even our families don't belong to us. God has given them, the people in your life, the folks that you're sitting next to and behind, you are stewards of this gift. When Vanjie joined the church, we are stewarding her. She's part of the gift that God has given us. That's the way it is. Somebody's here, until we know different, we look at them as we're entrusted to be their family. Paul says, I'm a steward, and then the third key word would be faithful. It's required of a steward to be faithful. You know, guys can be, and I know a lot of you guys are pleasant to be around, and it's fun talking to you. I mean, I've known men all my life who, it's fun to hang out and just listen to them go. You know, I, I love storytellers, and I love people who, who uh, can, can make me laugh or, or whatever. My question is, are you faithful? Not every nice person is faithful. Uh, some people you can entrust with something and you've got to follow up and keep following up or they'll drop the ball. I thought of this, I thought of this yesterday, our men's um, breakfast. Now, we had a great breakfast, by the way. If you weren't there, uh, what you missed was bacon, lots of it, pancakes, egg dishes, chorizo and papas, donuts, for if you wanted to stay healthy, donuts. Uh, I mean, all, kind, all kinds of great stuff. And, and the person who really coordinated it was, was TJ. And, and a lot of other guys were involved, in, and women, and the, the wives, thank you for making good food. Um, but after we were, when we were cleaning up, I was helping TJ in the kitchen, and, and he said he'd been up for 24 hours. Um, he'd worked and then came home, and he worked on a car that uh, trying to save money. And, you know, he, he volunteered, or we volunteered him, I can't remember how it went, last month to do this. And it, there are some guys who would have called it in and said, man, I just got home from work, I am exhausted, and i got to work on my car. Um, he told me that when he dr was driving up here, he was falling asleep. He almost fell asleep at the wheel three times. So that's faithfulness. Um, it's no excuses, not trying to palm it off on somebody else. 
You said you'd do it. You're going to do it. Um, guys, you know, when, when we look for a fatherly figure, we're looking for somebody who's faithful. May not be flashy and may not be able to tell jokes. Are you faithful? There's another. Now, these are overlapping. All of this, this is like a, some kind of Venn diagram where you got overlapping circles or something. Well, this next one is very similar. And a, a spiritual father is uh, someone who is known for his obedience to God's word. Um, notice verses 6 and 7. Paul says, I've applied all these things about judgment and responsibility and faithfulness and stewarding and all these things. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos, who was getting you know, blasted by the, this carnal church, too. For your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor one against another. The church was rife with division. Verse 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul says, look, I, I want you guys to know something. One of the things we apostles, Apollos and I, are trying to model for you guys the importance of the word of God. We don't want to go beyond it. We're not perfect and we mess up and whatnot. But look, we stick to the scriptures. And so I would conclude by this, that a spiritual father is a man who loves and knows and obeys God's word. This is not something we can pawn off on the women in our lives. It is a travesty that Christian men don't know how to find their favorite verses in this book and don't know how to open the Bible to find out what they're supposed to do with their life. And the only way we get over that is by picking it up and reading it over and over and over again and trying to study it and joining EMT next year. We've got a batch of five guys coming through. Next year we'll catch some more of you. Um, it's the Word of God that gives us the parameters. You know, if you've gone to school in the last 25 years the, and you got a liberal arts degree, if you went to school and learned how to weld, good for you. You made the right decision probably, <laughs> you know. But if you went to school and got a liberal arts degree like I did, undergraduate degree, the chances are pretty good that your major professor was a Marxist, <laughs> you know. And that used to be true just mainly of state universities, but now it's becoming almost true in Christian universities as well. And so what you, we send our kids out to, to school and they love Christ and they went through Awana and they learned all these verses and they're walking with Jesus and mom and dad are praying for them. And then they get to school and from the first moment they enter a classroom until four years later, they're told America is bad, Christianity is a joke, women and men, the, those lines are no longer valid. You should be ashamed of yourself if you're a guy. I mean, on and on it goes. So no wonder our kids come home and say, hey, I don't believe that anymore. Well, what I'm saying to you is a spiritual father is a man who's weathered the storms, even if he went and got a master's degree or a PhD someplace, 
and all of his professors told him, you know, your faith is bogus. Because he's learned that this is the real deal. This is the truth. This is, this is what uh, guides our, our every action. And our convictions are not developed by somebody who uh, got a PhD from um, the same kind of school that you're now going to and ended up uh, trying to undermine your faith for four years. No, your, your convictions come from the scripture. And a man of God stands up and says, this is what I believe and I'm not going to go beyond it. And I don't care if society wants to do every other thing besides what the Bible says. I'm not doing it. Amen. We need guys like that. And we need spiritual fathers that we they're not They don't want to be on a street corner protesting necessarily. But we know that they are men of conviction who obey the word of God and do not go beyond it. All right, another thing about um, the, the spiritual father is that he is sold out to Christ. He is totally committed to Jesus. Notice that the next paragraph is verses 8 through 13, and there's a lot in it. I'll just start reading at verse 10 and just uh, follow along. Verse 10 says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. I'm trying to be sarcastic as I read it. We're weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we blessed. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So Paul is pushing back and being sarcastic in the process. The, the church he started is looking down on him. And they're thinking about his itinerant ministry. And sometimes he doesn't have a place to say, stay. And he carries his craft around in a backpack with him so he can make tents someplace. All so that he can tell more people about Jesus and not charge. And he never has a permanent home. And sometimes he starts into sharing the gospel and they beat the tar out of him and drag him out of the city and and these people in Corinth are going man this guy what a loser you know forgetting that all the good things they have have come from the God he preaches and he says okay yeah you guys are so rich and we're poor we're we're a bunch of you want to call me a fool for Christ it's okay I'm signing up for that you want to call me the scum of the earth all right Okay, refuse? Is that the term you want to use? All right. Now, I admit that the primary kind of emotion that's flowing through this is a little bit of outrage and maybe a lot of irony. But also, you see the passion of a man who loves Jesus more than anything. He says, you want to call me a fool for Christ? That's fine with me. I love him so much. It, it doesn't matter. You think I'm all wet? You think the culture around me bothers me? That they think I'm nuts? I'm a fool for Christ. All right? What are we men passionate about? Don't answer that. I'm a man and I know. Ian and I were flying back on Monday from Boise and we, we got stuck in an airport for three hours. It was LAX. You know, you fly all the way from Boise 
connecting flight to San Diego is in LAX, and it takes three hours to get a plane. So we're wandering around. So we try to take a walk in the airport, and finally we're just sitting there in our gate waiting. And I think, oh, yeah, the NBA playoffs is on. I'll try to get it on my phone. So I'm, I, I got it on my phone, and then I heard somebody cheering behind me. There's a bar back in the gate area, and, um, and I, I realized my phone has like a 30-second delay or something. <laughs> you know, so something happens, people cheer, and then I'm going, oh, okay. So Dion finally says, why don't you just go up there and just watch? So by the time it was like three or four minutes left in game five, I went up there, and uh, there must have been 40 or 50 guys standing around. There were a few women, but mostly it was guys. We were cheering and groaning and saying all kinds of things, some of them not repeatable, and oh, not me, but, you know, somebody... <laughs> And so, shouting out advice, you know, I said to a guy I didn't know standing next to me, I said, why don't they take that guy out? This is the second offensive foul. He's committed. He's going to lose this game for them. And he just looked at me like, what's this guy? Well, I mean, we can get pretty stirred up by sports and trucks and beer. And... Um, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, two out of three I could get into maybe. I'm not a beer person, as you know. But I guess what I want to tell you is the greatest men in the history of the world were fools for Christ. And nobody's going to remember what chariot they drove or what drink they drank or what sports team or, God forbids, what coliseum event they cheered for, right? So I want to say to you, today is a great day. And whoever you are, give your heart to Christ. Past, present, and future. Your past is all messed up, maybe. You got sins, bad decisions, broken things. Give that to him. Whether you're a dad or a father or a mother, or give it to him. Present, Present is confusing sometimes. You don't know which end is up. Give that to him. Let him handle it. Let him be sovereign. He is anyway. He'll direct your life one way or the other. It'd be great to cooperate. Future. Who knows? I don't know what the future is. But with him, I know it's good. I get sketches in the Bible. I know I'm going to heaven. Give your heart to Christ today. That's what you should do. Be sold out to Jesus. Cheer for, you know, cheer for Toronto if you want to. Didn't even know they had a team, but now, you know, Canada has a basketball team? Wow, who knew? Uh, cheer for Toronto if you want to, but give your heart to Christ. Learn to love him. Follow him. He is the most important person in your life. If you know Jesus, he's the one. And look for a spiritual father who is sold out to Jesus. One more, one more. A spiritual father is a loving example. And I want you to just ramble through verses 14 to 17 again, and let me point out a few things. Paul writes in verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. 
For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. That's the verse that got me thinking about all this. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. You know, when you start reading Paul, you sometimes come away with the impression this guy is really tightly wound. You know, it's almost like, man, I'm, I wouldn't want to take a missionary trip with that guy. He's liable to get in my face or boot me off the ship sometime because I didn't get up early enough for devotions. I mean, you kind of have that feeling about Paul. And I think there's some truth to it. I think he was very, very motivated and focused. But what you need to see is what a loving heart this guy had. And here he is. Now just remember, here's a church he started, people he led to Christ, that is way divided now, and people are taking sides, and, and some of the sides are saying Paul is a terrible apostle. He doesn't even qualify. I don't even know why we let him come to church and speak. And to that, Paul says, look, you guys, I'm not writing to shame you. You're my beloved children. I'm admonishing you because I love you. You have all kinds of people to guide you, but you don't have many dads. The Greek word for guide here is a child conductor, literally. And in the ancient world, they'd hire a slave. Well, they wouldn't hire a slave. They would force a slave to be a child conductor. And you get the kid to, the, to uh, school and back and take care of him while dad's away in the Colosseum or whatever he's doing. Um, Paul says, I'm not that. I, I've invested my life in you guys. I love you. And when I'm defending myself and when I'm trying to get through to you, it's because I love you. All you have to do is read the way Paul addresses the churches that he writes to. And just a couple examples, Philippians chapter 1, he says, I, I have you in my heart, and then he prays for them. In chapter 4 of Philippians, here Paul is in prison when he's writing to them, and he says, you are my joy and crown. Or he writes to the Thessalonian church and he says, you know, I cared for you guys like a mother cares for her children. That's how much I love you. I, was, I loved you enough to share not only the gospel, but my own life. That's what Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 2. And then a few verses later, this is chapter 2, he says, I, I'm like a father to you. I encourage, comfort, and urge you to live lives worthy of the one who's called you. So out of that, Paul is able to say, be imitators of me, mimic me, literally. In Greek, it's mimic me. How do you learn anyway? I mean, you can learn from books. I'm a, I'm a book guy. I read books and I try to learn things, but life is not a book. Um, you got to have somebody who is at least a, a step or two ahead of you to show you how to live. And like my son taking his kids and saying, okay, here's how you repair this. Sir, I, I didn't pay attention, so I don't know how to do it, but I know he does, and, and Justin and Madeline do now too. Um, how do you live the Christian life anyway? Well, 
you know, let me show you how I pray, what my devotions are like. And when I had a heartache, here's what I dealt with. And here's, here's how I try to, try to stay pure with the Lord and not mess up and fall into sin. Here's what it, the scripture means to me. You've got to have somebody like that. Paul says, you know, I'm not perfect, but you could follow me. That's what I'm trying to say. And matter of fact, I'm going to send you Timothy. My beloved son, again, a man he had mentored. Timothy, he took Timothy when he was a teenager and said, let's go on a trip together. Let's go uh, missionarying, <laughs> you know. And uh, Timothy became his right-hand man, his top protege, and who became a pastor and church planter. Um, and undoubtedly, there were people who looked at Timothy and said, that's my spiritual father right there. Timothy looked at Paul. That's the way it's supposed to work. So having said all the things about faithfulness and obedience and being sold out and everything, I want to say the spiritual father that you should be or that you're looking for is a man who has an example, not perfect, that you could follow in a quiet way, perhaps, and you know he loves you. It was a year ago or so, I guess, we had a visitor here in church and I, I uh, introduced myself and and uh, found out the fellow is, ha, had been part of BVBC years ago, long before my tenure here. And um, he moved to another state and he thought enough about his connection to this church that when he came back through for vacation or whatever it was, he wanted to worship with us. And I said, oh, that's neat. And we, we, he was a very pleasant fellow to talk to, brother in Christ. And he says, you know, um, you know what the thing is I miss most about Benito Valley? And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I hope he says how great the preaching is. <laughs> That's what I really miss, you know. He never heard me preach, so. But I, you know. And he says, you know, the thing I miss is B. Helfer's giving me a hug and telling me that he loved me. And um, that's what I know about spiritual fathers. There's not a person in this room, no matter how old you are or young, who doesn't need a hug once in a while from somebody that you know loves you and who will tell you. So, men and women with a father wound, you might be 60s, 70s, or 80s, or younger. There are men around you who could be a spiritual father. And then to the men, young and old, I would say, well, there's an example here for you to follow. Have you ever considered that maybe you messed up as a dad? You know, some men have regrets. They look back on their own father and maybe they got saved late in life and they messed up their families or whatever. Well, what I'm telling you is it's not over. You have a godly influence now. And you may be that person who gives somebody a hug. Don't ever give anybody a hug, by the way, unless they are ready for it and you know it's okay. Man, I'm right, I'm winding up, but I gotta tell you this story. I was, um, I, w I was flying in the plane on the aisle and this young woman had a giant suitcase that I don't think physics would allow it to be in the upper, somehow, and so she was struggling with it. And I, my first impulse was to get out in the aisle and help her put it up there. And then, but she was too quick and, and she was, 
you know, pretty strong. So my next impulse was to say, way to go, you're pretty strong. Or like I do with my wife, sometimes I say, mighty mouse. And then I realized that I would be, I'd probably get a lawsuit out. I'd be probably kicked out of the plane. I'd probably be regarded as some kind of a dirty old man or something. So I just sat there. Well, so hence my caution about, I'm, I'm, I'm being symbolic in a way about the hug business. Men, you can have an impact for eternity in the life of somebody else. And we've seen what Paul's life was like. I, we can't program this. I mean, I, in some ways, I feel like saying, hey, everybody who'd like to make a connection to a father figure, you know, raise their hand. And then I'd say, hey, everybody who'd, who'd be willing to, you know, I don't think it works that way. I think it works by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just saying this morning, be open to what God might be doing and how he might connect you with somebody. And uh, you should look at the men in our church. We've got great elders. These are guys who, who love Christ and love you. We've great, got great leaders here. And uh, so maybe God in his grace and in his timing will work these connections in the body of Christ because we're members of one another. And so I just want to say happy Father's Day. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to call you Father. And I've never really had trouble calling you Father because my own dad was a great dad. But I know some people have struggled with this. Help us not to throw more impediments in their journey. May we men be men who exemplify these steady, solid, godly qualities. Teach us to be faithful and obedient. Help us to be sold out to you. Grant that we could be loving examples to those who may only be walking a step or two behind us, but nonetheless need to look at somebody who's a little bit ahead. Please work this out in your own way, Father. I know this is how it's supposed to work, and I pray that it would. In Jesus' name, amen.